0: American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Code STAPLE20.
1: Hi, I'm Kay Lowe, co-host of the Open the Voice Gate podcast. The one question I'm constantly asked when it comes to Gate is how do I get into the promotion? Well, stop asking and start listening to the Open the Voice Gate podcast released every Wednesday on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. For exclusive news and show reviews, look no further than the leader in Gate coverage, Open the Voice Gate.
0: Hello friends. Welcome back to the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. A little bit of a surprise episode from me, your host, Jesse Collins. I uh, I just had some free time this afternoon. Uh, I guess it's this evening time because I'm recording this at a little bit before 7 p.m. on Friday, August 11th. I uh, had some extra time and just had a few topics I wanted to discuss and didn't have a guest booked, but this is the part of the pro of being able to run your own podcast is that if I feel like talking about something, I can just hit record and I can start blabbing about it. Uh, and hopefully people are interested in listening to it. Uh, as, as I will preface all of my solo audio with, this might be terrible, it might be awful audio. If it is, I apologize. But so far, people have responded kindly to the solo episodes. So I'm going to keep doing them when I feel like it. Um, but uh, yeah, and I started with a hello friends greeting uh, that's that's a that's a Jim Nance says when he does the Masters. I don't really like Jim Nance uh, as a, as a fan of uh AFC, a major AFC team that has played many many big games on CBS. I've had Jim Nance call a lot of the games for my favorite team, and I do not like him as a commentator. But I do like it in the Masters when he says, "Hello, friends." Um, uh, makes me feel warm, makes me feel safe. Uh, it's a nice way to greet your viewer because they're not just your viewer, they're your supporters. Podcasts wouldn't be possible without the supporters. So these people are my friends. Each and every one of you listeners is my friend. Unless I've met you in real life and I've told you explicitly that you're not my friend, because then we're not friends. But for all of you who have never met before or I have met and had kind interactions with, Hello, friends. Anyway, I kind of had three separate topics to talk about, one in WWE, one in AEW, and one in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And they're kind of all going to blend into kind of being the same theme, which is kind of a loose evaluation of each roster and kind of where certain wrestlers are right now. Um, But we'll start with AEW. And the reason I wanted to start with AEW is we are now three weeks away from all-in the May- biggest show in company history one of the biggest wrestling shows of all time and from an attendance perspective it's going to be the biggest wrestling show of all time unless you count the north korea new japan and wcw shows which i don't count because that's not a paid audience and people supposedly had like guns in the back of their head telling them they have to go to the mayday stadium to witness uh, antonio Inoki and rick flair um if I was a military dictator, uh, if I were to be one, then perhaps uh, I would be setting up wrestling cards and uh, making my my people uh, watch them. Probably not with a gun to their back. I don't think I could be that. But then again, I couldn't be a military dictator, could I? Yeah. Uh, if I was afraid to do that. Um, but anyway, this is going to be over eighty thousand fans. It's going to be one of the biggest shows of all time, and we should be feeling as fans like this. AW is on a roll heading into their biggest event of all time and going to set the record for highest attended wrestling show of all time. But that doesn't seem to be the case. And there's a number of reasons for that. But I think in general, what I've noticed from interacting with a lot of different people and hearing from a lot of different fans and talking to some of my colleagues in the, the wrestling media space, in the wrestling analyst space, there's a tremendous amount of anxiety about AEW more so than usual there's always been anxiety about aew are they going to be able to make it are they going to be able to exist are they going to be able to survive are are they just going to be a flash in the plan can they can they last a a month can they last a year can they last several years can they you know run successful pay-per-view events can they keep drawing can they run a stadium show all of this anxiety about aew has existed for a while pretty much since the company was first announced But the anxiety anxiety that I find today is not concerning business success, um, which seems to be where a lot of the anxiety comes from, which is that the company is going to fail financially and therefore go away. The anxiety that I sense now is about the contents and quality of the product. And I think it's a very specific type of anxiety in relating to quality I think most people will tell you that AEW Dynamite and AEW Collision are good wrestling shows each week. They're entertaining. They have good matches. They might have a good angle or two. The shows are good. The pay-per-view events are the same thing. Every pay-per-view event seems to get really positive feedback, and most people would agree that AEW pay-per-views are pretty much can't miss in terms of quality. So that's never been AEW's issue is, is that the product is good or not. And even now, the product still seems to be good uh, more often than it is not. But there seems to be kind of a prolonged discussion that has now stretched back really since the start of this year concerning, I think, the long-term direction of the company and particularly where are all these wrestlers headed in terms of AEW? What kind of storylines have been set up for them? What types of feuds are they in? what kind of character are they developing? And as we sit here three weeks away from the biggest wrestling event in the biggest event in AEW's history, it seems like there's not a clear direction for a lot of major stars on the show. Uh, And and that is reflective of the lack of clear direction and clear character uh, work of a majority of AEW's roster. And I'm not going to go up and down the entire roster and tell you which one, who, who's doing what. But if you look at this card that we have for All In, and part of the reason is we only have a few matches for this card, and I think I like, okay, MJF and Adam Cole, they have a very clear direction. It's easily the strongest match on the show based on, you know the storyline, fan interest. Obviously, it's probably going to be the main event. The world title is on the line. All of that stuff. That that's good. And you could throw in some of the the people that are around that feud, like Roderick Strong. Uh, now it looks like you know Matt Taven and Mike Bennett are involved. So those people have a clear direction. Looks like we're going to get Young Bucks and FTR. I would say the young that really doesn't have a strong direction, but they're at least stepping into that that feud. You know, which they can heat up pretty quickly because there's so much animosity uh between the two teams, both real and and perhaps uh well, well well, both kayfabe and perhaps real. Uh but and obviously fans are kind of divided on that. That 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 should work. I'm not worried about that match at all. I think the crowd will be hot for it. It will feel big, it will feel important, even if it's being done on kind of a quick build. Outside of that, I look at this roster and I say, What's going on? What are they doing it all in? Um, let alone what they're going to do it all out, which is only a week later. That's a different issue. And kind of how that's reflective of broader issues, I think, with AEW Creative and the AEW roster in general. Uh, just like, let's look at this thing like CM Punk, who comes back, like when CM Punk was being rumored to come back, to me, it was so obvious that CM Punk needs to feud with Kenny Omega and the Elite. That is the question that everyone is going to be asking. It's the obvious thing that you should that they should try to do because it's also the right thing to do if we can show the world that these people can work together and be on the same page. That would relieve a lot of, uh, of fan concern in relation to those two parties not being able to get along and, and that being bad for AEW. But okay, you can't do that because they still hate each other or whatever. But CM Punk really has been kind of directionless since he returned to AEW. He's feuded with Ricky Starks. He's feuded with Jay White. He's feuded with Samoa Joe. He's teasing this feud with MJF over, uh, you know, how he never really lost the title and he's the real world champion. Obviously that should be setting up MJF versus CM Punk, but it seems kind of weird that they haven't interacted at all. Uh, maybe they're just waiting to finish this Adam Cole story with MJF. And this Adam Cole story with MJF, I don't think it's going to be ending at, at all in. I think it's just going to be beginning because I think one of them is going to turn on the other and that's going to lead to a big feud. Um, so when is CM Punk going to get involved? I don't think he's going to be challenging MJF for the title at all out in Chicago. It makes sense for him to do that in Chicago because it's his city, but that's only one week after all in and you're going to do that match on a six day build. I really hope not. And so I don't know really where CM Punk fits into to AEW. It looks like they're going to do CM Punk versus Samoa Joe at All In, which is kind of strange because they made a big deal about how they had this big rivalry in the Owen, uh, the Owen Hart tournament. And they did the match and CM Punk won and he finally beat Samoa Joe. And I was like, okay, that was a fine way to kind of reintroduce CM Punk to AEW, but seems like they kind of pushed past that and now they're going to have a major match at uh at this Wembley Stadium show. I mean, if you look at the card, that has a chance to be the second biggest match on the show, right, behind the world title. Um and I just don't feel like they've had a personal huge feud and if if that was the case, CM Punk should have been feuding with Samoa Joe kind of this entire time, like CM Punk should have lost that match to Samoa Joe in the first round and then kind of be chasing him and and, and hopefully settling the score at Wembley Stadium. Instead, CM Punk beat Samoa Joe. CM Punk spent like a month and a half feuding with Jay White and then Ricky Starks, and now he's back to wrestling Samoa Joe. I just don't find that to be really consistent at all. And I have liked collision so far. I think it's a good show, just like Dynamite is a good show like the, the week-to-week quality of the shows, it's not an issue. But it's one of those things where it's, you start being concerned about the directions of everyone on the roster and is creative kind of losing focus. We talked about how Tony Khan had his first, you know, what do you have? His first four champions for AEW all mapped out in his head. And, you know, there was a lot of long-term booking and long stories taking place. And now it just kind of seems like they're winging it. And I think that's reflected in a lot of these wrestlers not having clear directions, and it's reflected in not having a card figured out for for all out or for all in, for, for all in and for all out. That's gonna drive me crazy. <laughs> They're one week apart, and I keep calling all in, all out. Um, but I'm sure I'm not the only person who's doing that. But not even just CM Punk, Ricky Starks. What's Ricky Starks doing? Okay, he did have this kind of f- micro feud with CM Punk that lasted a few weeks. Um, that seems like it probably should continue based on the results of their match on Collision, but now CM Punk's back to working with Samoa Joe. What does that leave for Ricky Starks? Are Ricky Starks had a turn heel for this feud? I wouldn't have done that. I thought he was getting over organically as a babyface, and that is something you cannot take for granted in wrestling. Um, but he had to turn heel because he's feuding with CM Punk. Is he is he still feuding with CM Punk? What the hell is going on there? And that's, uh, again, Ricky is someone who is come a long way in the past year he's really gotten over i think the fans are going to buy him as a main eventer and they have bought him in the feud with chris jericho the the you know his brief challenge with mjf in this feud with cm punk now's not the time to be messing around with him um, but he's another one where part of it is because of how weird cm punk's return and how weird kind of the top feuds on collision have kind of shifted around various people feuding with cm punk that it's kind of like a game of musical chairs and the music stops and suddenly you know, there's only one seat left, and only one person can feed the CM Punk, and that leaves Ricky Starks, and that leaves the Bullet Club Gold, uh, you know, kind of standing while the music stops. Jay White, I think Bullet Club Gold, Juice Robinson, um, the gun, the Ass Boys, the Guns, I think they've done a really good job as performers. I think Jay White's come across really well since Collision started. I think that Juice Robinson has been great. I think the Guns are a good kind of understudy tag team that to kind of work underneath them. They can eat pins and multi-man matches and those kind of things. But again, you know, had this student with CM Punk, uh, you know, did the, the the great match with FTR. Um, but what's Jay White doing for uh for all in? Um he's he's not wrestling CM Punk and he's not wrestling FTR again. So what's he up to? Uh in 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 I'm sure they're gonna come up with something for him, but I feel like we should know that a few weeks away from the major show. And again, someone who just doesn't have clear creative direction. Um, you can, we can move over to some Dynamite guys. Kenny Omega, uh, is he wrestling Kanosuke Takeshita? That seemed like that was an obvious feud coming out of blood and guts. It seems like there's so much heat on this Kallus and Takeshita at, And fans really want to see uh, Kenny Omega get his revenge on, on Kallus and Takeshita. But now we have this whole Jericho angle getting involved where Chris Jericho is kind of, overshadowing Takeshita and Kallus's, uh stable. Uh, we don't really know where that's going. Maybe it's it's going in a, in, a, in a creative way. I could see like maybe Jericho not teaming with Kallus. Jericho kind of turns baby face um, and Kalis wants revenge on Jericho. But again, it's kind of unnecessary. Why can't Kenny Omega and Koneska Takeshita just settle their differences in a major match at all in? Why can't we do that? That seems like the obvious thing. Kenny Omega gets his revenge on Don Callis by beating his protege. It's going to be a great match. It's a great singles match in a, on a huge venue. It will be great for Takeshita to be in that moment. Um, why can't we just do that? Why is Chris Jericho getting involved? And I, I am a big Chris Jericho fan. I am not one of these nutcase Jericho, anti-Jericho people who thinks that he's constantly hogging the glory of everyone else and he never puts anyone over or any of that nonsense. But this is strange to me uh kind of how he's got involved in this angle even though like in a vacuum i think Callis and jericho have been great together i love their interactions i loved the bad news alan um kind of uh mentions i love the painting with bad news looking down from heaven on jericho and callus that's awesome um but from a broad and again that's part of the issue with aw to an extent where in a vacuum week to week the shows are good the segments are good but in the long term what are we looking at what are we building And is that negatively impacting uh, the rest of the roster and kind of the long-term star power of certain wrestlers and just keeping fans engaged? Um, You know, in relation to the Jericho thing, it looks like he's going to feud with Sammy Bovar again or Daniel Garcia. It's kind of strange because if Jericho turns his back on the Jericho appreciation society, he's got Sammy and Daniel Garcia, both who would be the logical person for him to feud with as the kind of, you turned our back, you turned your back on us. And now I'm going to kick your ass. Um, so it's kind of like Sammy and and Daniel Garcia, like are going to take turns doing that. I guess you could do Takeshita and Jericho versus Sammy and, and Daniel Garcia. Um, and by the way, Jericho is apparently uh, going to be wrestling Will Osprey on the show. That's the rumor that that, that Jericho is going to wrestle Will Osprey. So uh, maybe we'll get Omega versus Takeshita, Jericho versus Will Osprey. That wouldn't be too bad. But as far as a, a regular Dynamite viewer and what, I, what we're seeing, um, which is kind of what I'm getting at here, it doesn't seem like there's a there's a clear direction for these guys. It seems all very muddled. And if it comes down to you know Jericho eventually feuding with Sammy and Daniel Garcia. Uh, I think, like, Daniel Garcia should get that, like, the primary uh, role in that feud. Because I think Sammy, Sammy Guerrero, to me, I like Sammy. I think he is very talented. But we've already seen Sammy kind of get several pushes. And he's gotten that shot. Um, Daniel Garcia really has not. And I think Daniel Garcia, at this moment, has higher potential than Sammy Guevara as a top guy I think Danny Garcia is more over right now than Sammy Guevara I think the whole you're a wrestler chance um will, will totally take over especially as he's feuding with Chris Jericho and I think Garcia should be one of those guys to beat Chris Jericho just like Ricky Starks did um I think that is a I think if I were to pick You know, between him and Sammy, I think he's the obvious choice. Now, I think they rate Sammy higher. Tony is obviously a huge fan of Sammy Guevara. So it wouldn't surprise me if Jericho and Sammy is the primary feud and Daniel Garcia is kind of underneath that. Um, That would be a mistake, obviously, but I could see that's the way they're doing. But again, we don't really know where they're headed in that direction. Um... Because Jericho is, is, you know, still figuring out this thing with Callus. And and I get, like, I don't want to make it seem like we need clear answers for where all these people are going right now. Because that's not how booking works. And really, we shouldn't have clear directions for everyone at all times. Um, We should not necessarily know where something is going. Um, But there's a difference between having that kind of element to a wrestling show and having a show that is just... You know, over the long term, wrestlers seem inconsistent in the way that they're presented. They maybe have a few big matches and then they're off TV entirely. Um, they don't seem to have clear opponents, or they're just kind of you know in multi-man matches. There's there's a difference between having kind of a structured uh, storytelling and uncertainty. Like I would say, the MJF and Adam Cole angle is a structured moment of uncertainty. We as viewers really don't know who's going to turn on who, and that's exciting. But we know that they're at least engaged in this feud and there's a plan there. It's hard for me to see if there is a real long-term plan with Jericho, Kenny Omega, Takeshta, Callis, Sami McObar, Daniel Garcia. I don't know where any of those guys are going. So uh, and, and, and maybe there's a master plan and all of these strings are going to be pulled and it's all going to be woven together and it's going to be great. But it just seems really muddied right now. And I think that's contributing to this anxiety. Um, could move over to the women's division. Similar thing like Hikaru Shida. I think her match with Tony Storm is great. I love seeing her win the title. Um, seems very over. She's going to have a big match, you know, in the four-way at uh, Wembley Stadium at the All-In Show. Does she hold the title for a long time? It seems kind of like maybe one of those few, those title wins where she wins it and then she'll lose it right back to Tony Storm. It's a four-way match, so she doesn't necessarily even have to be pinned so I can kind of continue the feud. Um, not really a clear direction with her. Not a real cl- clear direction with a lot of the women's division. Uh, you know, Britt Baker's in this match, but, you know, Britt Baker and, and, and you know, Jamie Hayter before she got hurt, and Cheetah's been in the mix as well, obviously. They've kind of had this really prolonged feud with, um, you know, uh, I can't even remember their name right now. The Soraya and Ruby Soho and Tony Storm uh, uh, stable. But they've been in this feud for a really long time and it kind of seems like they should have had a blow-off match by now and it just kind of keeps going and going and going and it seems like sometimes some people get added to it and some people get detracted from it uh i'd like to see a clear resolution to that maybe they need to have kind of a big blow-off match because it's been going on too long um and again it seems kind of like one of those things where yeah they've been feuding with each other but it seems to vary week to week on how hard they're feuding with one another um so that leads to like kind of a lack of consistency that i'm talking about um but yeah i mean and then this other thing in the women's division i want to point out um this is a separate issue but this tbs title i i did not think that they needed a second woman's title i said at the time I'd rather have them take time to develop meaningful feuds that don't necessarily have to involve a title than to just have a secondary title, which can be used as a crutch to have matches. And that TBS title is a crutch to have matches. There's almost no storyline ever associated with it. Um, there's, the matches just kind of seem to happen. Oh, you know, Chris Statliner will be defending the TBS title against this person. Um, there's very little storyline effort put into the TBS title and The worst part about it is that it seems to be siloed off away from like the rest of the women's division and the AEW women's division is not deep enough to have like two totally separate divisions uh, of people going for a certain title. It's almost like there's a roster split where you have some of the women are in the, uh, you know, AEW women's world title universe and then other women are in the TBS title universe and they're not stacked equally. majority of the top performers are in the women's championship and uh really the only person in the tbs championship orbit that i think is like worth a damn is chris statlander so it's chris statlander defending her title against a lot of lower card performers and the division's not deep enough if if you're gonna make the tbs title a thing and this is the same exact issue that the jade cargill title ran ran into which was Jay never really had any quality opponents because she never wrestled anyone that would be considered like a major star in AEW, AEW's women's division. Like she wrestled Nyla Rose, um, you know, she wrestled Taya, but you look at who are like the top eight or nine wrestlers, women wrestlers in AEW from both a star power and in-ring standpoint, uh, you would say Tony Storm, uh, Ruby Soho, Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter, um, Thunder Rosa when she was healthy, um, Statlander who now has the title, you know Jade who's who's missing but w- would definitely be considered one of the top stars in that division. Uh, you know Hikaru Shida, the current champion, of course, um, Riho, former champion. Like if you look at those names, almost all those women are in the women's title universe. And the TBS title is like this 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 neglected title where you defend against preliminary wrestlers. And it's hurt Chris Statlander. I thought she came back and had a ton of momentum and she won the title, great. She beat Jade Cargill, great. Really cool moment when she did that. Awesome moment, crowd popped huge for it. Very memorable. Um, But since then, what has she done? Nothing really of note. I know she's on collision, um, but because she's really only like, allowed to feud with lower card women's wrestlers, nothing she does is that interest. And I really just think that they, I don't really know why they book like this because the division's not deep enough to have like an A title and a B title and have that B title be interesting, just not. Um, so so that, that's kind of a separate issue, but again, Statlander seems someone without a long, even despite the fact that Chris Statlander has a world title uh, in AEW, she doesn't seem like someone that has a long-term storyline or plan. Uh, Hangman Page. He had that that you know big feud. He's really only feuded with John Moxley this year, and those two matches that they had were fantastic. Um, well, they actually they had three matches. I think um, the Texas Death Match is one of the best matches of the year. It's one of the best matches in AEW history. It, it might be my match of the year this year. I'll have to go through it. It's going to be tough for me to to rate anything higher than uh, Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay two uh, from Forbidden Door. But that mo- that Texas Death Match is right and i think page has been great this year but he hasn't wrestled that much he hasn't had many singles matches he's really only had one feud and now it looks like the bcc feud is over and he this is a major star like really one of your like four or five biggest single stars in aew i think undisputedly and he doesn't seem to have any direction at all for um all in And that's really disappointing. And I look at some of these other people that I've named so far that don't seem to have clear directions. One of them being Jay White. And I think, man, what if those two guys had a great match together? Why can't they feud with each other now? Jay White's on Collision and Hangman is on Dynamite and might be asking too much for them to to be in the same locker room. Like, I don't know if Hangman Page can come over to Collision, but uh, they should be having a feud or something like that feud with a top guy page is a top guy and he needs other top opponents to feud with. And he, outside of John, the John Moxley feud, it just simply hasn't been there for him this year. And that's really disappointing. Um, you know, I liked his work in the the elite versus BCC feud, but that was kind of him being a collective along with the young bucks and Kenny Omega. He's an independent star. Now he is a, that was kind of the whole story was him going out on his own and making, it. um, you know, is he going to feud with Dark Order? I, I don't think so. Like, I don't think he should be Like, He needs a top feud. And I, and I like Evil Luno and I like Stu Grayson and I like Silver and Reynolds, but they are not top guys that should be wrestling. Like Evil Luno and Hangman Page is not the kind of match I would envision for Hangman Page wrestling at Wembley Stadium. Uh, and I think everyone would agree with that. So he's another guy that I have problem with. And then, you know, you got these guys like Wardlow who who were pushed really hard and, and they disappear off the face of the earth um, once they kind of fall out of the title picture. Um, you know, when is he going to come back? And is he going to come back? Is he going to be with Christian Luchasaurus? I'm not sure. Just all of this seems like problems with the broader long-term booking plans of OEW. And that is where I think a lot of this anxiety is coming from. And I just kind of ran through a bunch of names on the roster, but you can see that there's just a lot of question marks, not in, how talented these people are or and not in are these people over or not but just kind of what they're doing and i think the company needs to and it's too late now because it's all in and all out or right around the corner but i almost just think you need to hit a big reset button and start over with new feuds for everyone in a lot of, in a lot of cases like kind of like have that that you know kind of uh, typical or idealistic raw after wrestlemania show where you or, or you know what's a better example is new year's dash right wrestle kingdom's over and now here we're going to start teasing some new feuds for everyone aw just needs to have like one of those shows to i think kind of get everything back on track come up with feuds for everyone come up with angles and then push them out in quick succession on you know a couple of weeks of television It's too late for that. You can't do that and then expect to draw big, or uh, I mean, can't expect to draw big. But they're already sold eighty thousand tickets, so that doesn't matter. But you can't expect to have a ton of fan interest in in two or three week built feuds. So it's too late for that. But if I were to like give some advice to Tony Khan, I would say, after you get through all in, after you get through all out, really like look at the storyboard of what's going on here in AEW and. Get people back on track because I don't think it's a case of people have stopped getting over. Like, I don't think Hangman Page is less over. Okay. Um, So, all you have to do is just put them in something that the fans care about and fans are going to respond. And that's true for a lot of these people on the roster. I feel like it's just been lacking lately. And I think fans can see that in the more perceptive fans are starting to get very concerned. So, that was my AEW rant. Let's switch gears. Let's go to to wwe Uh, and of course i talked a lot about wwe last week on my episode uh on the episode of the show with josh nason we talked a lot about the bloodline and kind of uh the strides wwe has made in appealing to its current fan base and obviously business being up and kind of the reasons for that but i kind of want to just run through the SummerSlam show real quick i don't i'm not going to like review each match um because that was a week ago so who cares but I kind of want to run through just kind of the different participants on uh, on each match and kind of look at where they're going in, in WWE, if that makes sense, and kind of give it. Give where do they stand in the company and that kind of thing. Um, opening match was Logan Paul versus Ricochet. Um, you know, Logan Paul is a celebrity, so and, and the the fans. I don't think he's over as a babyface, but the fans kind of respect him a lot more as a wrestler um than than they did when he first debuted, which why wouldn't they? He's been excellent given his level of experience. Um but you know what this match was really about to me was like Ricochet getting like a real opportunity in WWE, which He just hasn't gotten a lot of, they'll throw him into like a multi-man ladder match and and they'll let him do some high spots. But for this show, you know, he had a real feud. He exchanged promos with Logan Paul and he went out there and he had an 18 minute match on a pay-per-view on SummerSlam and in front of 50,000 fans. And that's kind of like what we always hoped Ricochet would be allowed to do in WWE. And he just hasn't gotten that many opportunities. And I think, You know, they had an idea, which is like, we want Logan Paul to do a bunch of athletic stuff and have these, these, these gifts that go viral on social media. So they put him in the ring with a guy that can do all that stuff and and can keep up with them and help them get through all the plant high spots. Um, So they picked Ricochet. Um, I don't think it necessarily confirms that like WWE really believes in Ricochet, that Ricochet is suddenly going to get a giant push in WWE because I don't think Vince McMahon really sees much in him. And when that happens, I don't care that Triple H is like pretending to still be in charge. Ricochet like Ricochet, is not going to get a gigantic push as long as Vince McMahon is calling shots at WWE. Um, but that being said, this was a very nice match for him to have. And I'm happy that he's able to at least get that opportunity because there are a lot of guys in, in WWE that kind of have similar talents and we just don't see them get the same kind of opportunity like that and this was at least a chance for ricochet to be presented like a serious um main roster star which is unfortunately been has been few and far between opportunity opportunities for that have been few and far between um second match was cody Rhodes versus brock lesnar uh this was kind of the end of, of cody Rhodes feeds I'll, I'll tell you what I did not like the ending to WrestleMania. I thought it was a terrible finish. And I thought they made a big mistake by Cody Rhodes not winning. Um, I do think Cody should be like kind of really grateful for Brock Lesnar being there for him to wrestle. Because I do think Brock is such a big figure in WWE still that Cody and Brock, like Cody feuding with Brock, it doesn't feel like Cody took a step down because he lost the match at WrestleMania, which is what my big fear would be would be Cody has gotten over as top babyface and now that he's failed at WrestleMania and he lost against the biggest star in the company in Roman Reigns he, it's there's nowhere to go but de- but down and i don't i don't think he's as hot as he was going into WrestleMania but i do think that this long feud with Brock Lesnar has at least allowed him to maintain a level of babyface aura that is important for his long-term survival uh, as a babyface in WWE um and so they had their match brock at the end despite turning heel uh is, is now babyface again by shaking cody rhodes hands we never found out why brock lesnar attacked cody rhodes and turned on him in the first place uh it was just never explained uh apparently brock went into business for himself by doing that but who knows if that's true or not um it was all very confusing to the viewer i guess but I don't think fans ultimately really care if Brock Lesnar is a heel or a baby face, or really what any of Brock Lesnar's motivations are for anything. He's Brock Lesnar. He comes out. He suplexes people. He gives him the F five. He's the most believable badass in all of wrestling. Like, I don't think people think too complex about Brock Lesnar's character, and he can get away with a lot of stuff. You know, as a from a, from. The way he interacts with people, the way he kind of switches between being a babyface, being a heel, beating up babyfaces, beating up heels. He can get away with all that because he's Brock Lesnar, and he has that aura, and basically nobody else does. Uh, the Battle Royal, LA Knight won the Slim Jim Battle Royal. Um, we'll probably talk about that this on Russellnomics this week, but um, I think the WWE made $7 million in advertisement revenue, according to the Observer, this week. Um, and we're gonna start seeing more and more of this stuff, like the app av- the the advertisers are gonna have sponsored matches and things like that. And if you watch any major sporting event, like the Super Bowl, obviously is a perfect example. like every single, bit of the super bowl is sponsored you've got someone sponsoring the pre-game show you got someone sponsoring like the introductions you got someone sponsoring the coin flip you got somebody sponsoring the national anthem you got someone sponsoring the halftime show you got someone sponsoring all the replays that they show the post game show the trophy ceremony like all of every single aspect of the show sponsored and that's true for a lot of pro- professional sports uh events and i wrestling has always kind of under monetized those events um and having these specialty matches you know and they've had like the main events have been sponsored by by major sponsors before and things like that but we're going to start seeing more and more of those um i don't really like it doesn't i don't like like the corniness of ones like obviously the zombies attacking Miz for the the movie the batista movie or whatever was bad um i don't like it when it's like oh it's the pizza hut you know battle royal and like there's a lot of obnoxious product placement but when it's just someone sponsoring something that's that's fine you know, who could possibly be bothered by that i'm numb to it as a real sports fan i never noticed that you know this pitcher's change is sponsored by amica insurance uh right. you know i'm just numb to that but um la night one uh la night's getting really over he's getting great reactions from the fans um and you know that was the right choice you know this was mostly a geek battle royal um but there was people like Sheamus and AJ Styles and people with more credibility in there um but LA LA Knight won um then we had the MMA rules match Shayna Baszler versus Ronda Rousey uh Shana Baszler won uh this match was not good as I could have told you beforehand because wrestling fans do not like um you dip you know MMA rule matches uh they if they did they'd be going to mma fights and not going to wrestling events um ronda rousey just an absolutely awful like last like year or 18 months in wwe uh her whole career is going to be so weird to evaluate as wrestling it's it's really hard to it's hard to remember kind of how big of a star she was when she first showed up in wwe and she had that match at wrestlemania and there was the whole i think it was the royal rumble where she did the thing with the rock um it was, uh, you know, she, her star has just fallen across the board since then. And she immediately, when she first came into wrestling, she was very enthusiastic. And, you know, she was green, but her performances were pretty good. And kind of like Brock Lesnar, she had that aura of being a real badass um, that made people excited for it. But ever since she came back uh, to the company, she's been bad. Her heart hasn't been into it. She's been cashing them paychecks and she hasn't really done much. And I guess this was the last thing she wanted to do. She wanted to put over her friend, Shayna Baszler. But Shayna Baszler, people in the main roster, people don't buy her as a real wrestler because she hasn't been presented really as a a top star um, for a long time. I know when she first got called up to the main roster, she was. But ever since I think at WrestleMania, she lost. You know, people don't care about Shayna Baszler because she hasn't been presented that way. And people don't care about Ronda Rousey because she hasn't really been presented that way um so this was no good fans didn't like it and you know ronda's I- i'd be surprised if you ever see ronda again wrestling. it really seems like she doesn't like it anymore <laughs> i don't know if she has like time left on her dates or something like that maybe she'll she'll rally and she'll want to do wrestlemania one year but this that might be this might be the last ronda rousey wrestling match we ever see wow. And it's just kind of a strange legacy walter beat drew mcintyre I don't really have much to say other than Volter's the best wrestler in the company, and he is by a wide margin. And he should be, um, he should probably, like, be pushed harder than he really is. He's doing well with the Incarno title. You know, he's had these great matches on the shows. That's, that's, That's great for him. But we're talking about, not only is he a great wrestler, but I think he's getting over. And I think he comes across as a legit intimidating heel. And I think you could put him with a lot of different baby faces. He's going to get the best out of them. Um, He's such a good worker. He's so smart. Um, He's so practical in what he does. Uh, He's just a great professional wrestler. That's the only way to describe it, is that he is a great professional wrestler. And WWE does recognize that because he's been pushed and he's been protected. Um, It's almost time for him to do something more. Um, He's on SmackDown. I don't see him ever feuding with Roman Reigns just because rain seems like he's off in his own universe right now, but he, he probably deserves more at this point because that guy is so good and he's gotten over and he's been kind of patient in WWE. Uh, He deserves more than this, uh, what he's getting right now. I think Seth Rollins versus Finn Balor. Um, You know, Seth is, is still a very, very good in-ring wrestler. Um, but he's such a geek uh, and he's so phenomenally uncool. And the fact that he's over makes me think wrestling is less cool. <laughs> like the fact that he can come out and he's got an arena full of dorks singing his his name and laughing and cheering him as he cackles like a madman. It, it, it's so he's so phenomenally uncool. and the fact that he is so popular right now. With fans in the arena, makes me think, man, this is like the dorkiest thing in the world. And I hope no one comes on the room while I'm watching this. This this man cackle and be popular. Uh, now, he, as a wrestler, he's still so good in the ring. Um, he's so athletic. He comes across like a really great athlete with excellent timing, and he can sell really well. I didn't think this match was like amazing, but. He, he gets it done in the ring it makes me forgive a lot of the stuff he does but man his personality is so toxic to me as a fan um it makes me uh, you know he at one point he was one of my favorite wrestlers like when he was in ring of honor and then when he was in you know FCW and NXT and then he was when he was in the shield he, he really was one of my favorite wrestlers i just don't really know what happened to him from a personality perspective i guess he's doing what he what he can to get over in ww which is fine um but but i I guess I'll talk about this now. Um, It's really more pertinent to Dominic getting over, but Seth also makes sense in the sense of I have never felt less connected with WWE fans. And I have never felt like I have a worse understanding of what is going to be popular or get over with that fan base. And like I just described with Seth, I see Seth and I see a dork and yet he's getting over. He's never been really. He's never really been more over than he has where he's coming out wearing his goofy, obnoxious boots and wearing his crazy outfits and doing the weird dance and it. To me, you know, it's so uncool, but it's working and it's getting over with the fans and that's kind of how I feel WWE at this point is. The company is hot. The, The decisions they're making are working for their fan base, but. I have never been less interested in watching the product. And I think it's impacting my ability to really analyze WWE's product in general, because I just simply do not know what that fan base wants. Because I see someone like Dominic Mysterio, and I see someone who is not talented. I see a bad wrestler, bad promo, with no charisma. And the crowd likes to boo him. And it's kind of like this ironic oh yeah we love to hate him um but he's over and you know he's done really well going to nxt and having you know matches on nxt that have popped ratings and i'm like is this the future of wwe where this person who has no talent is ironically over by the fans and it moves business and if that happens what is the future of wrestling like is it going to be where you can be really bad in the ring and you can have no real charisma, but if Kevin Dunn presses a boo button for a few months, people will start reacting to it and getting over uh, in the arenas. And then will eventually be popping ratings. It's just, it's not at all what I want in professional wrestling. And it's hard for me to kind of guess what's going to get over in WWE because what gets over just seems to be almost random. Uh, I just, I simply do not understand it. And it's totally disillusioned me from watching the product uh, on a regular basis. And it's made kind of discussing the product kind of frustrating because a lot of people in this space will just default to, well, it's making money, so it's doing really well. So of course it's good. And that's true if you want to analyze the business side of things. And at WrestleNomics, we do that every week. And I'll never say that what WWE has done is a bad business strategy because it's clearly not.
1: In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value Off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net, arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast door is unlocked much much easier so if you want to jump on board with Ufy video lock search Ufy video lock that is e u f y video lock again that's Ufy video lock e u f y video lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door
0: But most people are not business analysts. Most people don't really care about the business side of wrestling. They care about whether they like something, whether it's entertaining to them. And in this space, the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, that's what I want to talk about. And when I, talk about, when I think about WWE, I just think all this shit fucking sucks. And I've been down on WWE for a long time, and I've slowly been kind of watching less and less of the product um and when I was watching SummerSlam which was a, a moderately reviewed show in terms of people seem to generally think it was pretty okay we'll get to the main event but I'm watching that and I'm just like I have no connection with this product and it's making me sad watching it. um and I don't understand why any of these people are over. I don't understand what any of these booking decisions are. And when the fans were all disillusioned and the fans are booing stuff and the ratings were down, like at least I could say like, okay, I'm in tune with what the fans want because my views on the product are being reflected in business. So I didn't feel like I was disconnected with really with WWE. I thought Vince was disconnected with his fans now i'm not sure it seems like they finally won it seems like that they've convinced a lot of their fans that what they do is the right way to do things and stuff's getting over um and i just don't know how much longer i can like credibly analyze wwe when i really have no idea what's going to get over as a fan of course um so so moving on women's match you know Another weird thing, like Bianca Belair beats Asuka and Charlotte Flair. Io Sky comes out, cashes in the title and wins. Io Sky is a heel; she's part of Damage Control. They've been heels for a year, um, but the crowd, you know, the crowd likes to see stuff happen. So they didn't, ex- you know, they, something happened. They saw someone cash in and they won the title, and Io Sky will get, you know, her her. You deserve a chance. Um, I think, unfortunately, Bianca has had a really hard time as women's champion. The problem with WWE right now is the women's division WWE is that they have two women wrestlers who are genuinely really awesomely over right now it's Bianca Belair it's Ray Ripley and they're on different brands and they both have titles and the biggest match they could easily do is Ray Ripley versus Bianca Belair and they just haven't done it because they've decided kind of like AEW with a women's title and the TBS title they're now off on their own separate universes and they're apparently not going to interact and that's disappointing in terms of Ray Ripley and Bianca Belair are like two of my like five favorite performers on the main roster at this point so i'd like to see them wrestle each other that would actually get me excited but i don't know when that's going to happen uh and you know wwe title the world title match um tribal combat uh you know i i talked a lot we talked a lot about the bloodline and story uh on on last week's episode so i'm not going to like relitigate it all here but the match was long the match was boring i thought you know these Roman Reigns matches are so predictable. They have the same layout every time, uh, and to the degree that fans know and recognize the layout. So when the fans are watching, you know, Romans big main event matches, they are waiting for the ref bump. They're waiting for the interference and anything that is before the ref bump and before the interference, they're not interested in. So you have Jey Uso and Roman Reigns having this match and these guys aren't putting in a great effort. I know Roman Reigns was supposedly got hurt. Um, early in the match, but even even before he gets hurt. Um, and, and in other matches he's had, like these, you know, we're doing punch kick, we're making faces, we're cutting mid-match promos. Like, this is not an interesting match at all. Um, so we got like 20 minutes of that. Fans don't care because again, they know the formula of Roman match and they're just waiting for something to happen. Even though the match was advertised as nobody can interfere in this match. So theoretically, fans should not have been waiting for the ref bump um and the interference to happen because it was advertised as that of of the match being that cannot happen. Um, Not only do WWE fans recognize the formula, they also recognize that WWE is not going to pay attention to the stipulation. So of course there's a ref bump, there's interference, Jimmy Uso ran down, so Koa was involved, all that stuff happened. Um, You know, Roman Reigns retains, title continues. I understand why they did it because... You know, the bloodline thing is moving business. And in wrestling, you ride something until the bitter end. And even when it stops drawing, you keep riding it. And then you eventually give up. Um, just the way hot angles work. If you look at the NWO, you can see the exact same thing. Uh, WWE ran like the, 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 you know, the evil uh you know the Vince McMahon figure or the authority or the evil matchmaker um or the heel raw general manager or whatever angle they did that angle for 20 straight years because it worked for Steve Austin and Vince McMahon and they continue to do it forever. And that's what you do in wrestling. You find something that's hot and then you do it forever. And the blood angle is hot so it's probably going to be done forever. Which means Roman Reigns is probably going to be champion forever. Um uh, not for me. I don't like it as I as I've made clear but it's obviously um something that A lot of WWE fans like, so if you do like it, you're probably going to enjoy the next, you know, six months to a year. But if you're like me and you're totally disillusioned with it, I don't know why you would watch SmackDown because it just, it seems to be the same thing over and over again with this feud. Anyway, that's me bitterly complaining about uh, WWE and SummerSlam. Uh, I'm going to move on. I'm going to talk about the G1. So the G1, we're obviously not done with the G1. We just wrapped up the quarterfinals uh, yesterday. Uh, Again, it's, i don't know what people are going to listen to this but again i'm recording this on friday uh, august 11th so we're getting the semifinals soon and then of course the final uh in the next few days so maybe it's over by now by the time you listen to this i, I don't really have much to say about like the semifinals in general in the sense of uh you know it's 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 evil of and it, it's you know naito uh and osprey and uh you know i think it's gonna it's probably gonna be okada naito in the final i would think maybe okada osprey i don't think evil gets to the final or maybe he does who cares i think i think naito's probably winning this um but i don't really care who wins the g1 i was talking about this with someone the other day where it's like the g1 to me is all about like the quality of matches and kind of the broader stories that each wrestler is kind of telling uh as as they go through and, and i'm going to go through a lot of the names that G1 to kind of give a perspective on on how i feel about how they what they did in the g1 and where their stock is moving forward um i don't really care who wins like i, I like who and I, you know the winner main events wrestle kingdom like i don't really care like it's probably going to be okada the main event of wrestle probably it's going to be what i know about the main event of wrestle kingdom pretty much every year is that it's going to be because you should go okada versus some other top star and the match is going to be really good And that's enough for me to get invested as a fan. I don't need anything more than that. So I don't really care who wins the G1. If they were really going the route of making a top star, like let's say uh, Yoda Suji was in the semifinal, I would be much more invested in it because I think if you were to win the G1, that would really be saying something as we really believe in this guy as our next top guy. With the remaining four guys, I mean, it's three guys. It's all, all former IWGP world champions. Three guys that have basically headlined the dome before. Um, when they do it again, I'm sure the match will be great. I'll be excited for it. I don't need to be sold on that, but I don't really care about, you know, who's going to win the G1, to be honest. Um, but what I want to do is kind of just run through the names in each block, kind of give my thoughts on what they did in the G1. I did. I haven't seen the entire tournament, but I've seen, I would say 80 to 85% of the matches. There are a few I skipped, like I didn't watch a single Toro Yano match. So I kind of have nothing to say about him. I'm sure people will be very sad that I will not be giving a long uh, Toro Yano review of his G1 performance, but uh, just to run through, I'm going to try to do this really fast because of the 10 million people that were in G1 this year. Um, Sonata uh, you know, was you know was undefeated in his block, 14 points most of the entire tournament. Uh, I thought Sonata was pretty good um, in this tournament. I thought he had some pretty good matches at times. I thought his match against Yoda Suji was really good. I thought his match against Aminu was also good. Um, I thought I didn't think the match against Gabe Kid was like awesome, but I did like kind of the heat and the ang- It felt more like an angle than a match. So it was kind of hard for me to rate that one. But I did like the kind of intensity that Gabe Kid brought to, 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 to Sonata. I mean, to me when I watched Sonata versus Yoda Suji, I thought, man, this Yoda Suji guy, he is a top guy. He's got charisma. Um, he's got he's an exciting wrestler. I just feel so good when I watch Yoda Suji wrestle. And I think Sonata is Randy Orton. He looks the part, he moves the part some people insist that he is the part the company books him like he's the part but it just is i get Sonata's not bad i don't think that pushing him uh, as champion is like a, is was was a mistake because i do think you got to take a chance on guys like this when you're trying to make a new star and Sonata has a lot of the tools that you think will make a good star but he's just not that guy um and again like his g1 performance real solid not a standout. And when you're in a company with Kazushka Okada and Will Osprey and Tetsuya Naito, like you gotta be a standout for me to think that you should be the top guy. Um and he just he's he's just not at that level. Um Hikaleo was kind of the big winner in terms of the A-block as far as like uh, a young guy gonna get a big push. Um, I thought his first few matches were not particularly good. Um He had a match against Chase Owens, which was just really boring, and I went 11 minutes, and I went which was about 10 minutes too long, but throughout, as he got further in the tournament, I liked his match against Uminu, I liked his match against Suji, and I liked his match um, against Kiyomiya, too, Uh, and his match against Naito um, in in the quarterfinal, which he finally lost, but I thought, you know, Hikaleo is not an amazing wrestler to me, but... I think he held up his end of the bargain. It, it, you know, New Japan said we're going to push you in this tournament. We're going to have you come out of a block, and we're going to put you in the the quarterfinal. And I thought he had good enough matches where he can credibly be in the tournament for the next ten years as the the monster wrestler who can beat any top star at any time. Really, the bad luck folly role, and I think he he's way better. Than like the last several years of Fale. And I think he's probably better than like peak Fale, whenever you think that it was. I mean, he moves a lot better than Fale. He's much taller than Fale. they probably about they probably weigh about the same. Um he he's much more athletic than Fale. Um I, I think, you know, he went out there with Naito, and he had a pretty damn good match. And he went there out there with Suji and Uminu and Kiyomiya, younger athletes, and they had a pretty good, damn good match. You know, is he gonna be able to have a great match with Chase Owens? Probably not, but that's not important uh, what's important is that he uh, can have good matches with the top stars because his role is going to be you know being a monster for those top stars to overcome in these tournaments and I think he did a really good job of that. uh Yoda Suji I already kind of talked about him with Sanada but out of the the new three musketeers I think Suji is easily the best wrestler. I think when I see him I think man this guy I can see being on the same level as Okada or Naito or Tanahashi or Osprey or Kenny Omega or Nakamura or these other, you know, top, top stars in New Japan over the last 10 years. uh, He's got a really excited, you know, really exciting wrestling style. He does some power moves. He does some athletic moves. He comes across like an explosive athlete, which I love. Uh, he makes great He's got a great expressive face and he makes great facials during the match. He's not overacting like Roman Reigns, but he comes across as very uh, emotional and emotive when he wrestles, which is really good. Uh, he's got like really big, he's got like a really big wide mouth and these like big teeth that I think help. It uh, gives a, he could be uh, intimidating. You know, he's got like this, you know, he opens his mouth and he can be, depending on his face, he can look intimidating. He can look excited. He can look scared um he kind of has just a really expressive face that's what i've noticed with him uh recently and he just he just has it, man they 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 if they, they picked a guy to push really hard from the get-go he already obviously already challenged him out for the title but and they chose right because this guy's damn good and i would have probably had him advance uh further in this tournament than he did um i understand why they went with hikaleo i don't think it's like the worst booking idea in the world and i understand the parody between narita umino uh, and suji but man, that guy was real good. He's he's like my, my big winner of this tournament, uh, as far as like people who showed out and, and did well. Um, uh, <clears throat> moving on in the A block again, more young guys. Ren Narita, uh, Narita, I think is is firmly you know ranked third in the the new Three Musketeers. I don't think Ren Narita is bad. I think he's a pretty good wrestler, but he has a major problem. And the problem is, is the company decided that his gimmick was going to be you're going to be the next Shabata. Which is not a good gimmick, uh, for a couple of reasons. The first being Shabana's gimmick was he was this no-nonsense, ultra serious wrestler. And he comes out in the black tights and the black boots like a young boy almost, because he just he doesn't care what his you know outfit looks like, he doesn't care what his gear looks like, he just wants to go out there and kick your head off. And You know, he was, Shibata had a lot more size than Narita. He came across as, you know, more credible, more intimidating. Narita going from, you know, young lion wearing the black boots and black trunks to Shibata clone wearing the black boots and black trunks kind of makes it feel like he never graduated from being a young lion. And now he's cosplaying as this more popular wrestler. And I just don't think that's going to work for him because he's got to find his own niche. He's not nearly as big as Shibata. He looks kind of small out there in G one, to me at least. I mean, obviously he's wrestling like Hikaleo, but you know, look at this. I think you compare him to Uminu even, uh, you know, Yoda Suji, Sanada, Kiyomiya, Gabe Kid. Like he just looks small. Um. So he, and he doesn't have the credibility to be like the badass, have the badass aura that Shibata had, and he, so I think he's struggling. Uh to kind of stand out from that. I, I really just want him to get new gear and maybe a slight change in gimmick. I still think he's a good wrestler. Um, he had some good matches this tournament. I love the two draws, because mainly because I love draws in wrestling and I liked the 20-minute time limit uh, in this tournament because I like draws and I, I wish there were more of them in just all of pro wrestling because I think they're an amazing tool for telling stories and to having ongoing feuds and things like that. Um, but yeah, I, you know, he had, a, he had an okay tournament, but... Easily, if we're looking at you know in this block, who was a breakout star? You know he's definitely behind. We know he's definitely behind Suji. He's definitely behind Hikaleo. It's Hikaleo advanced, so not like a great tournament for Narita. I'm sure he'll get many more opportunities to kind of stand out. Um, I just I think his gimmick has to change a little bit. Uh, Shota Omino, uh, I thought did really well. I would have him just a hair below Suji in terms of uh, like how much they accomplished in this tournament. He's getting over. He's a very good wrestler. He's turning into a very good wrestler. I think, you know, he has, was plagued by inconsistencies. He wasn't in great shape. He obviously didn't have a great situation going over on his excursion to the UK right in the middle, right as the pandemic started. Uh, but he's shown, you know, especially with like his matches with John Moxley when he was teaming with John Moxley and, and the for, two forbidden door matches. And sometimes in New Japan, he has flashed that he has top tier ability. Um, you know, he had that, that stinker with Naito Earlier this year, that kind of maybe set him back in some fans eyes, but I think he's going to get there. I think he's really talented guy. I like his look. I think his charisma is starting to connect more with the audience. And I think he's getting there as an as a, as a in-ring guy where I could see him being a top in-ring guy in New Japan, which is really hard to do. It's a very high standard to hit, but I think he could get there um the rest of these guys like you know kiyomiya i don't really have a strong take on kiyomiya i think other people can talk about what's going on with kiyomiya a lot more than me but obviously he were a big noah fan his performance was disappointing i don't think he had like many great matches he was solid and he was okay um i just you know i really didn't think he stood out and that would be more troubling than like oh he wasn't protected that well like okay that's fine but i was looking he's in a block with a bunch of you know, guys who are in his age range, you know, Narita, Amino, Suji, Hikaleo. Uh, Hikaleo is a little bit older, but, um, you know, Gabe Kidd, all these guys that are around the same age as Kiyomiya. And Kiyomiya has a lot more experience, uh, definitely a lot more like big match experience than these guys. And I didn't feel like he stood out. And if I was just an assessor of talent that would kind of worry me. And I still think Kiyomiya is like a super talented guy and he should still have a bright future. He's already so accomplished at his age and what he's been able to do in Noah. But as far as this, this tournament goes, I would say like, he doesn't look to me like a standout future superstar in professional wrestling. Not to, not compared to Suji. Um, and maybe some pro wrestling Noah fans are really going to have a strong reaction to that. Um, but just from watching him in this tournament, I saw Kiyomiya and I was like, I don't think he really felt special. And I've seen his best work in Noah and he is capable of being a great pro wrestler and having like a five-star match on it. But I don't think in this tournament he came across as special and that would kind of trouble me because he's not being protected in booking. So he's going to need to come across as special as like an in-ring performer and having, you know, charismatically. Um, and that's just not happening. Um, Gabe Kidd, uh, you know, he was doing mostly character work in this you know, in this uh, in this tournament, you know, just doing a lot of brawling before the, the match would start and getting on the ring. You know, he had this match with Chase Owens only technically went on, you know, two minutes and 55 seconds. Um, this match with Hikaleo only went, you know, three minutes. Like, he's just, he's doing a gimmick. Um, he's doing a lot of character work. I think, you know, some people really like it. I, I, it's fine. Uh, I understand what he's going for. I kind of just want to see him get in the ring and wrestle, guys, because I think he's really good at that. Um, So I didn't really love his tournament as far as like a quality standpoint, but I still think he has a bright future and he's obviously a very good wrestler and he does come across as a convincing jerk. Um, So he should do really well in New Japan going forward. It was a strong tournament in that regard. I just, I kind of wish he had like more serious matches because I think he left something on the table. Um, B block, this has less experience. This has more mostly established New Japan guys. So we're going to try to speed through them faster than I was going through a block. Um, Okada, you know, Okada obviously is probably one of the favorites to win this tournament. You know, it's either probably going to be him or Naito. Uh, Okada is a great wrestler. I thought he had a great match with Yoshiashi I thought him versus Tai Chi is probably my match of the tournament. Um, so far, you know, as I say this, you know, right before the semifinals that Okada Taichi was my favorite match. I want tai Chi to win so bad. Um, him and Kenta had a, had a, <laughs> we'll get to Kenta. I'll, I'll bring that up in the Kenta section. Um, now I had a decent match with Okan. Obviously, him and Osprey had like a rushed match because they only went 17 minutes, which is obviously very short by their standard. They probably needed to go twice as long, um, but obviously it was still a high quality match. Uh, him versus Phantasma was also really good. Um, you know, he's Okada. He's probably the most underrated wrestler in the world right now in terms of just how great he is. And I know, like, he's Okada. Everyone just uh, underrated is probably not the right word. Taken for granted, he's certainly taken it for granted. The quality, the consistency. Uh, his ability to work with a variety of different appointments, his ability to consistently come across, across as a huge star. Did I just say a variety of different appointments? I meant to say variety of different opponents. I might be talking too fast. I'm locked into this G1. I apologize if I said some nonsense earlier, but Okada is great at working a wide variety of opponents, not a wide variety of appointments. I'm sure he he can do that. I'm sure he can go to many different appointments in a given day because he's Okada. But in terms of wrestling, great job working with a bunch of different opponents. Um, Yoshihashi, always, always a guilty pleasure of mine in the G1. Um, he's being booked more seriously, you know, winning the never six-man titles and then you know, having the tag team with Goto really take off and winning the tag team titles multiple times. So he has more credibility now. But I just love Yoshihashi, the great trier, one of the great triers in the history of New Japan pro wrestling. Um you know, he's, he's really comes across so earnestly as a babyface face that uh, wants to win match matches in front of the crowd. And he rarely does, but I always think he puts in a great effort and, you know, his in-ring stuff is really solid. He doesn't botch moves. His selling is good. He knows when to fire up at the right times. Like he's just a really good pro wrestler. And I don't know if he will ever get proper credit for that because he was presented as, you know, just kind of a pin eater for like 10 years, but Yoshikashi's damn good. And he's, de- I kind of had this debate with some people uh a few weeks ago which was like did yoshihashi get actually actually get better at pro wrestling over the last few years or is he just being presented differently and i'm kind of on the side of he was always pretty good and he's being presented as more credible so he's getting over more but other people who, who watch new japan very closely were pretty insistent that you know his charisma is way much better he's connecting with the audience a lot better uh he's definitely improved you know later in his career which you don't always see with wrestlers especially ones like Yoshihashi who kind of get comfortable settled into a certain position um Another guy in that pro is Tai Chi, who you know spent a long time kind of being an underachiever in pro wrestling, and it's kind of like a um, a joke almost that he was you know Toshiaki Kawada's student because you know of all the people for Kawada to train, it's Tai Chi is carrying on his legacy. Um, but obviously, over the last few years he's turned into a really consistent, really strong singles wrestler. Uh, had some great matches in this tournament. Like I said, my favorite match of the tournament is probably Tai Chi versus Okada. So. Uh, another strong tournament for him i hope to see him in many more g ones um because he's just a damn good wrestler and he gives it his all every time he's out there someone who maybe doesn't give it their all every time I'm out there is kenta uh i thought kenta was lazy i thought kenta was boring i thought kenta had almost no interesting matches on this show uh, in this tournament the most interesting one i think was probably against will osprey um, and that's just like, you know, Osprey getting the boost out of somebody. His match with Okada went 19 minutes. And like 18 minutes of that match are absolutely boring, awful dreck. And then they have a closing stretch that's like an amazing closing stretch. And it made me kind of mad that they had that in them, but they insisted on boring me for 18 minutes before going to this fiery, thrilling con- conclusion. I would have liked to have seen that urgency a little bit earlier in the match. Um, But a weak tournament for Kenta. You know, honestly, Kenta's one of those guys who if I never saw Russell ever again, I'd be okay with it. Um, I, I try not to mean like super disrespectful to him, but he's just not an interesting or compelling wrestling at this point in his career. Uh, sorry. Ocon. Um, Ocon is in trouble. And I say that because you look at this A block and you look at young guys who are getting pushes in this company, uh, specifically, Sh- uh, you know, Suji, Shota, Aminu, and Ren Narita, but also guys like Gabe Kidd, um, David Finlay, um, El Fantasma, and Ocon is uh, like in the same age range as them, and Ocon was kind of presented as being a guy that could probably get pushed like that, uh, and he just, he seems like he's getting lap passed by his contemporaries. Um, I don't, I've, I just, I just, I don't know what to make of him. I loved him as a young boy. Did not like him when he went to England because I didn't like the gimmick. Uh, came back, didn't like the gimmick. Uh started to get over again. Uh started having really good matches. I was I was back on the Ocon bang wagon, And over the past year or so, I've kind of fallen off because I don't think he's being protected the same way. Um, he just seems like a mid-card guy on the roster. And he's still got the gimmick where sometimes he wrestles seriously, sometimes he, you know, is doing a lot of character work. And I get that, it's part of the performance, but I just kind of wish he was a big hoss tossing people around. Uh, He has the physical presence to do that. I don't know if it's insistence on the gimmick. I don't know if he's lazy. I don't know what the deal is, but he has so much potential, I think, to be a great wrestler. And I think he's stuck doing what he's doing now. And it's disappointing to see that. And I thought he had a pretty disappointing tournament, all things considered. And I think he needed to have kind of a killer tournament because of the pushes the other young guys in the company are getting. He needed to go out there and kill it every night. And he really didn't. Um so his stock is down for me. Uh Will Ospreay, I don't really have anything to say about Will Ospreay other than he's great. Um, he had great matches throughout the tournament. He had like the best match uh, of Kent's tournament, he had the best match of Tangaloa's tournament. Um he's you he need if you have a limited wrestler and you need someone to get something out of them, you know, Ospreay's your guy. Tangaloa's knees are gone. Uh, you know, Dave Meltzer said that that Tangaloa's knees were so bad that he was told to retire. Um, so working on, working a G1 on knees that you were told were so bad that you would have to retire by doctors, retirement's tournament's not going to end up looking that well. Um, I thought he had a really good tournament a couple of years ago. Um, uh, but I think injuries have just slowed him down and now he's just not an explosive wrestler anymore when he, when he has an opponent and I thought Yoshihashi and Phantasmo and Osprey, uh, we're good for this when he has an opponent that is just going to run at him and like do all of the movement and work, uh, that may, then he can still be okay. Cause he's physical and he, he can just stand there and he can, he has a physical presence to him. He's okay. But when he actually has to move, like and hit the ropes and like do a little bit work and like carry his own ends, he really struggled. And that's just an injury thing. He was a hard worker, you know, for a long for a number of years for new Japan He's being he was you know a good. he's been very loyal um both him and his brother have done that and they're gonna have places in the G1 probably for a long time because of that um and I, I hope maybe next year he's in better shape uh physically phantasmo um came close you know came on strong at the end I thought he might be a secret person to kind of advance and he obviously had that great match with will Osprey towards the end of the of uh the block um a good tournament for him he's getting over as a baby face i thought he definitely did better as the tournament went on as soon as you know they got more lively crowds kind of as they hit the bigger cities down the stretch of the tournament and i think that's really helped solidify his his stance as as at least a mid-card baby face with potential to go higher especially you know now that he's a heavyweight um don't know if there's really an opening for him given who else they're pushing in that company but a really strong tournament for Fantasmo. david Finlay. um i love that Finlay has a shillelagh by the way uh the old family heirloom. I wonder if it's the same shillelagh that Fit Finlay used to use. Uh, I really hope it is. Um, You know, uh, loved his match in the quarterfinals against Will Ospreay, loved the closing stretch. Um, Had a real solid tournament. I think, you know, I don't think he's ever going to be the world champion. Um, I don't think he's like replacing Jay White in terms of like his status in the company. Um, But as a never open guy, as a guy that can lead this kind of, you know the War Dogs, this kind of scummy, jockish faction of, of foreign guys. I think he's done pretty well in the role, um, and he had a pretty good tournament. Uh, I, I like, I said, I really like that quarterfinals match. Um, his match with Ishii was also very good. Uh, big surprise there, I know. Um, Tomohiro Ishii, I know he's on the chopping block every year because. He's he's older, and they have other guys to push. And if the tournament was maybe a little bit more condensed, with not without four blocks, uh, Ishii probably would have been on the cut. But this this man should be in the G one every year until he retires because he is the greatest G one wrestler of all time. Uh, he's just so consistent. His wrestling style is perfect for the G one. He had you know. <laughs> He had seven above-average matches in this tournament. Um, and they were all about fifteen minutes long, and he really just he goes out there and he does his stuff. It's the same match every time, and it's still great. Such a good seller. He knows exactly when to fire up as a babyface. Just great stuff. Evil. Um. I don't like evil's gimmick. I sometimes skip his matches just because I don't like the interference. I thought his match in the quarterfinal against um Sonata was was decent. I wasn't like appalled by it. I, you know, him winning was a legitimate shocking moment and the fans popped for it in terms of seeing an upset and he did it clean, which was cool. So I don't have any problem with that. I know some people thought it was like the worst match in the world and they can't believe Evil's going to the semifinals and all that stuff like that. I I don't need to see Evil in big matches because I just don't like the the interference gimmick that is in every single match and it's not creative or interesting. But, you know... i didn't think him he, you know he, he he needs to win occasionally to to remain his status in the company as as a threat and so he's gonna have to he's occasionally gonna get some big wins and if you don't like him you're just gonna have to suck it up yeah. <laughs> or you can stop watching new japan either one uh tamatanga kind of similar to tangaloa he's in better shape than, Tama, than tangaloa was but i just didn't really think this was a particularly interesting tournament for tamatanga um You know, he had a draw with Shingo Takagi, which was okay, and I feel like if you're wrestling Shingo Takagi in a 20-minute draw, your match needs to be better, than okay. Um, But again, not not, not really anything to write home about. Shingo, again, kind of an anonymous uh, tournament for Shingo. He's really slid back down the card ever since, you know, he was champion during the clap crowd era. Uh, You know, just a tough time to be champion. Kind of got the title by default due to injuries and things like that, but I think he deserves better. I mean, he finished, you know, in the middle of this block um, at seven points. I just, I wish he would, I wish he would be more protected. I understand why he's not, he's not a New Japan guy. He's getting older. They've got other guys that want to push in front of him, but the guy's so damn good. Um, Really one of the best wrestlers uh, of the last 20 years. Aaron Hanare, um, I liked his his first few matches. I really liked his match with Shingo um, and he went over Shingo. uh, earlier uh, i think it was on night one and i i think hanare has real credibility as a dangerous performer when i see toa hanare um, i think this guy comes across as dangerous he's got good size he's got a great look i love his you know kind of you know he mixes in a lot of like martial arts style striking he just comes across as dangerous and that always I always like that in wrestling because he comes across as credible, and whether it's as a heel or a babyface, or he's just going out there with someone like Shingo or someone like Ishii, and they're just throwing bombs at each other, I'm always going to gravitate towards that for wrestling, um, and especially in New Japan, it's the perfect place for him. Um, I think he could get a bigger push if they wanted to. I think he's he's fine where he is right now. I don't need to see like Kanari winning the world title, but he's someone that in the last few G ones has really stood out to me as a really hardworking guy who wants to make this work. Um, uh, speaking of hardworking guys that want to make this work, Mikey Nichols, mad Mikey Nichols. I could not care less about Mikey Nichols being in this tournament, realistically, but the guy went out there and he said, I'm going to work this G1. I don't know if I'm going to be able to work it next year. I am going to go all out and try to make this as good as possible. I possibly can. And he did that. He had a really strong tournament based on my perception of him uh he had a really good match with Toa Hanari uh on the first night where he dropped Hanari right on his fucking head uh thought Hanari was dead but Hanari went on to wrestle six more matches so he's fine um just, you know, I think he got the most out of this tournament. Um, and you could say the same thing about Eddie Kingston. Obviously, like, this is Eddie Kingston, like, checking off a, a bunch of things on his bucket list, um, you know, being AEW's representative. Um, you know, he's a guy that can lose a lot, so it's okay. But they protected him to a, a moderate degree. You know, he picked up some side, you know, he beat Shingo, um, he beat Hanare, he beat Tamatanga. Um, you know, he Eddie held up his end of the bargain. He, he didn't have any, like, masterpieces. Um, But he also didn't have like some terrible matches where she can sometimes lay an egg, you know, Eddie and his wrong opponent, wrong chemistry, but I didn't really like his match against evil, but that's more like an evil problem than Eddie problem. But I thought everything else was good. And and this was a good block for, for Eddie to have good matches in because he was wrestling guys that kind of wrestled to his style, you know, Mikey Nichols, Shingo, Ishii, Finlay, Hanare. I mean, these are just dudes that are going to come out and they're going to clobber each other in the face and that's, in a lot of ways, the spirit of the cheap one. So Eddie was a good pick, and I'm glad. I'm happy to see him you know, succeeding so well, because um, he deserves it. The D-block, uh, Tanahashi. <laughs> you know, somebody, uh, Todd Martin, uh, said today, uh, I heard him say today that New Japan for Wrestling is like WCW, in that they never try to make new stars. Just all the old guys getting pushed. Um, and as a, that's obviously an absurd thing to say, and I just think has this man not watched Hiroshi Tanahashi? The man is getting beat like a taiko drum for the last like two years. Um, all this guy does is lose. Um, they protected him a little bit. He picked up three wins in this tournament, but he lost to Alex Coughlin. He lost to Jeff Cobb. He lost to Zack Saber Jr. He lost to Naito. So. They're trying, you know, they're using his star power to let other people win. Like Alex Coughlin beating Hiroshi Tanahashi was not something I necessarily expected to see, but this is Tanahashi's status. He's the legend that can lose. Um, and he's always going to maintain his aura. He, he's just physically shot. It's sad to see. I will say his match with Naito was really good. Um, I thought the finish was awesome. I thought Tanahashi looked. You know, despite the fact that it was his last match in the G1, and I, you just expect him to be grounded to a fine powder by that point. I thought he, you know, he took a lot of risk. He jumped off the top. Him and Sting are like the two wrestlers that when they wrestle, like they come with this added element of drama because I'm afraid that they're going to get like seriously injured or they're just going to like turn into dust uh, at some point because of the way they physically, you know, Sting because he's just so old and Tanahashi because of the way he moves. But goddamn it! If he didn't hit aces high to the floor on Naito, and he didn't go for the high five flow and eat the knees, and just he had a great performance, and he might be shot. He's no longer the the the, the steady, consistent performer, but he's still got a few nights of magic per year left in him, and I, I hope he can continue to do that, you know, for as long as he continues to wrestle. Naito uh, started off slow. I was starting to think, and part of this is because Tanahashi. Um, you know, is, is is getting up there in years and it was so slow. Goto, who is right underneath Naito with a block, um, you know, Goto, you know, suffered an injury and wasn't nearly as good as he normally is in the G1. And then with Naito got it, getting off to a slow start in terms of quality, I was like, is Naito in the same kind of class of Goto and Tanahashi? And, you know, you can look at Kenta or even someone like Shinsuke Nakamura as kind of his contemporaries, his major wrestlers in, in Japan. It's like, are these guys, is Naito part of this group? where he's you know too injured and he's just he's just past his prime and I, I think most people would consider that physically he is past his prime but he did I think rally into pretty good form uh by the end of the tournament he's obviously still going um you know he's probably gonna have a killer match with, with Osprey uh he had a really good match with tanahashi to kind of wrap up the block for him uh I thought he did really well. Uh, in you know, he is he gonna he's gonna go to Wrestle Kingdom. He's gonna do the roll call finally uh at Wrestle Kingdom. Maybe uh, you know, he's still a big star. Um, and he he's still got enough in him where I think you can still put him in that position. And he's still gonna achieve. Goto, as I mentioned, Goto suffered an injury, so this was not the usual Goto great Goto that we saw. I do think that you know, he he suffered an injury, I think on the first night he hurt his rib, and that impacted kind of the rest of his tournament. I do think by the end, like, his match with Zack Sabre Jr. was pretty damn good, so he kind of rallied back, but uh, the G1 did not stand for Goto this year. The G and G1 did not stand for Goto this year, unfortunately. Um, just saying, you know, he got injured, that's that's all I can say, is that, you know, as a t- his he's still wrestling at a high level, you know, as most of that's doing tag work with Yoshihashi, but he's still having really good matches, and I expect to see him again next year in the G1. You know, Zach Sabre Jr., obviously a uh, good push here. He, he made the quarterfinals as he came out of this block. Uh, you know, Zach is a great tournament wrestler. And what I like about Zach so much is that he gets his submissions over and he gets all his roll-ups over. So his matches have this just extra added element of drama to them where you never know when they're going to actually end. Um, and that's cool because these matches have these elements of drama that no other match has. And he went, especially in like a tournament where he's kind of established himself as this really good tournament wrestler that can kind of be anyone in any tournament, won the new Japan cup before things like that really help establish him as this credible challenger. And so when he's out there and he's wrestling a guy like Naito, he's wrestling a guy like Tanahashi, he's wrestling Godo and he can do all these kind of cool roll ups and things like that. Uh, and the crowd's really into them. Uh, he does really well. So another strong performance by Zach. Um, Zach talk about this more like around the hall of fame season. I know he's not on the hall of fame ballot, but if Zach Saber Jr. Was on the hall of fame ballot, I would consider voting for him because I think he is the best wrestler I've ever seen at this specific style that he does. And he's been great for like 10 years. And if we're going by like number of four star matches that I've seen, Zach is up there with pretty much anybody. The guy is so consistent and so good. And it has been for a really long time. Um, never hear any buzz about him being a hall of famer but i feel like if i were to talk to people like do you think zach Saber jr is a hall of famer and they were to really think about it people that have watched his career will say yes um because he's just such an outstanding wrestler uh toriyano i did not watch any of his matches so i can't comment on him jeff cobb kind of like his buddy okan you know Cobb's 40 so he's not nearly as young as okan and i don't think they have as much invested in the idea you know he's not a new japan Produced products. so I don't think they have as much invested in them. But Cobb's also kind of a guy where, um, you know, he's been booked strong in these tournaments before. He's a big monster guy, so he's kind of like Hikaleo in the sense that he has credibility where he can beat kind of anybody at any time. But I don't think he had a particularly notable tournament. I don't think he had any like amazing matches, uh, solid stuff, but nothing to to, to write, write home about. Uh, the same can be said for Alex Coughlin. Um, I don't out of the the war dogs that were in this tournament, Finlay kid and Coughlin Coughlin had the weakest tournament part of that might be just because he didn't this this D block necessarily didn't have a ton of great opponents for him it was you know old Tanahashi Goto with a busted rib Yano you know Shane and and Cobb it just it wasn't a great tournament like if you put him in a different block I think he maybe does has a few more standout matches but he just kind of felt like a guy here um and he's definitely i would say like the third guy in the war dogs unit in terms of the heavyweights um i think like clark connors stood out more you know as a junior than than coughlin does as a, as a heavyweight but um not really a strong turn of ram shane hast, hast has that match against naito which i thought was outstanding um you know really big upset never uh <laughs> never knew never expected it to happen uh it was kind of a, like the biggest upset of the G1 when it happened uh he hit his finisher which i didn't know what his singles finisher was because it's usually in a team and he basically like picked I forget even what it was called, but he like picked Naito up like he was a, p- and, like twirled him around like he was a piece of pizza and then did like a, off like kind of like a big boss man s- uh, style slam. It was fucking awesome. And he just like, I didn't know that was his finisher. So I'm watching the match, and, you know, Naito's going for Justino and then Haas just like picks him up, spins him around, drops him. And I was like, what the hell was that? And then it's one, two, three. And I was like, whoa, that's Shane Haas finisher and he won with it uh just like one of those fun moments from the tournament i'll remember forever other than that i don't think he really did anything memorable but he did get that win over Naito, and it was done in a really cool way so i'm gonna so i'm always gonna like think fondly of him in the tournament even if that was the only thing he really did of note um but it's kind of the g1 i think that new japan uh is kind of like in a rebuilding phase like in some ways they're they're getting focusing on getting a lot of guys over um in this match this this you know they did they had a ton of guys in this this tournament um maybe they shouldn't have as many people as they did maybe it'd be better with a more condensed field um but i had fun watching it I, like i said i watched pretty much all of it um and i do think that they have a lot of young wrestlers going in interesting directions and i think i want to have alan forell on the show eventually um uh, we've been talking about it for kind of a while but the big trend I see in, in, in Peru, kind of across the board, look at what they're doing in all Japan, look at what Dragon Gate is doing, um, you look at what Stardom is doing, it's a real youth movement trying to create kind of several exciting young wrestlers right now, uh, and trying to make those next stars in a real concentrated effort. A few years ago, it seemed like, especially with all Japan, and Noah is still like this in a lot of cases. Um, know, relying on nostalgia acts and guys in their 40s and 50s and we've hit hit a breaking point in Japan where I think a lot of promotions are like it's time for us to create a new generation of stars and while the business overall in Japan is down I do think it's kind of an exciting time to be watching uh, Peru because I do think that a lot of interesting young talent is getting pushed and I do think that was the case in this tournament um, even if some people, you know, you look at the, the the people who made the finals, the you know the the knockout stage of the tournament, it's pretty much all established names, with the exception of David Finlay and Hikaleo. But if you watch this tournament, like I did, you'll notice that like there's a lot of cool and interesting stuff that's happening, kind of up and down the card. And I think it's it was was a fun and entertaining tournament, even before we get to the finals, um, which are going to be this weekend. Um, but that's it. Wow. This went longer than I thought it was going to, but, um, hopefully it comes across well. I'm definitely going to upload it, uh, tonight and we'll see probably, most people probably won't listen to this until Saturday or Sunday, maybe some Monday, uh, listening, uh, if you're later, it's not really, I don't think it's really that time sensitive, but thanks so much for everyone who's listened and I will see you again in a while. Hello everyone. My name is Taylor and I'm Kelly. And we are the co-hosts of Jumping Bomb Audio, the number one show
1: all about the world of Joshi Pro Wrestling. Episodes drop every other Monday where we discuss the biggest Joshi news, review shows, and preview the hottest upcoming Joshi action.
0: So whether you're a new fan or an old fan, we've got something here for you at Jumping Bomb Audio.
1: Check us out on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.